Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Skyline yeah, is brought to you by 100 Resilient Cities. Pioneered by the Rockefeller Foundation, 100 Resilient Cities is helping cities around the world become more resilient to the physical, social, and economic challenges of the 21st century. You can find out more at 100resilientcities.org. This is America. Welcome to Skylines, a City Metric podcast. I'm John. And I'm Stephanie, and this week we're talking about Christmas in Cities, featuring a goat. A park really does sort of offer cradle-to-grave facilities. You can go there as a child and play in a sandpit, and then you can go as you get older, you can play tennis or football with your friends, and then you get even older and you can go and sit in a walled garden, and then you die, and they put your name on a bench. There's something about kind of like taking a train or a car journey. It just feels like you're cheating somehow. It's Christmas! No, I'm totally stuck when that wasn't going my Noddy Holder impression Can you do it, but like, further back? I can't do a Noddy Holder impression. Can no. you do Noddy Holder, but further away from the mic? No, I mean, I literally can't do it. I tried, and now I've realised now I can't do that. <laughs> Tell me about the goat. So, if you listen to the last episode, you'll know that I'm a huge fan of the Garvely goat, which is a giant straw goat erected every Christmas in the eastern Swedish city of Garvley, which people have a, historically had a, a pretty nasty habit of, you know incinerating this year's goat went up on November 29th and um, it burnt down on November 29th within a matter of hours it didn't even last the evening it's a rather nice fire sound effect that Stephanie is helping us with right now by scrumpling up some plastic it's the, it's the lid of a kind of San Pellegrino are they sponsoring us now? They are not, um, no we probably shouldn't <laughs> but the corner shop other near soft our- drinks are available the corner shop near our office does every single flavour of San Pellegrino, including the hard-to-find lemon and mint, so... I really hope we can get some money out of these people, because otherwise <laughs> this has been a completely wasted moment. But yeah, the goat's gone. The, the goat, goat is the gone. The goat did not even last the hour. John, I was so optimistic at the top of this podcast that we were going to make it really happy and about being outdoors and going for a walk, and you've already made it about Christmas dreams being literally burned to the ground. I didn't make it that. It's the, the, the good people the of goat, Garfley. The, the, the goat, goat arsonists. Yeah. Um, it's it's probably worth reflecting a bit more on the story of the Garfield goat, just because it is. A, we talked about it briefly last week, but I just kind of want to read some extracts from the the Wikipedia page for it, which is one of my favourite uh, pages on the entire internet. 
um, and just lists the fate of every single Garfield. Go. Go on, hit me. 1972, goat collapsed because of sabotage. 1974, burnt. 1976, hit by a car. 1978, again, the goat was kicked to pieces. 1979, the goat was burnt even before it was erected. A new one was built and fireproofed. It was destroyed and burnt to pieces. It goes on like this for like 30 years. They've been, yeah, I've been doing this since 1966 and every year something horrible happens to the goats. My favourite bit is in 1998, there is a major blizzard on the night of 11th December and the volunteer guards go to get some coffee on the assumption that you can't burn a goat in a snowstorm. This, this assumption turns out to be wrong. Uh, is there any year where the goat did survive through to Christmas? Oh, yeah. No, that happens loads. Um, okay. It's about half the time the goat makes it, but that's not a... I mean, if you imagine... Like, Manchester does its, like, giant Santas on the side of the town hall, right? If you imagine that one year in two, someone sets fire to the giant Santa on the side <laughs> of the town hall, people would probably think that Manchester had a problem with Santa arson. So I'm not necessarily <laughs> sure that, like, you know, the fact that half the goats survive is... It's like, not a great survival it's rate not, for giant. No. I, just, I just wondered if you could do a kind of day-to-day style rundown where you go, 1987. No, no. goat died. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Happy Christmas, everyone. Yeah. So it is not the first day of Advent, but the first day of Atheist Advent, i.e. the first day of a tiny chocolate treat. Yeah, slightly spoiling it, because we're recording this way in advance of releasing it, so it's going to be like the eighth day of of Advent by the time we... Okay, it is the eighth day of tiny chocolate treats. And how do you celebrate Christmas in the city in which we live, John? Well, every year we go to Winter Wonderland on a Friday night, which is hell. I think we should explain for our international listeners, Winter Wonderland is, is... It's basically a temporary theme park that goes up for two months in the middle of Hyde Park every Christmas where you can buy overpriced hot booze and go on fairground rides and things like that. I I think kind of theme park is already overselling it, though. I think it's kind of like, imagine if there was an episode of The Apprentice where they had to design a German Christmas market for the MTV programme Jersey Shore. (laughs) That's okay. that's one way of putting it. There are a lot of they they have a lot of like giant statues with with uh, voiceovers in slightly offensive German accents. The whole thing is actually slightly racist against Germany, I think, which has not really been. But yeah, there's a, there's a giant there's like a thirty foot wooden German with a, a four foot bird on his shoulder, and they sit there and they kind of talk to each other in this recorded German accent. It's 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 not good. So yeah, this is what we do for fun. Wow. It's one of those... Like, it, what it reminds me of, actually, is like about 10, 15 years ago, some of us went up to see a friend of ours, got incredibly drunk, and then went and got some stuff from the local kebab shop. And, and our friend passed out, and he was really grumpy and aggressive with us all evening. Um, and the next morning, he said, Oh, God, I didn't take you to the Pet King, did I? <laughs> the, what do you mean the Pet King? It's always called the Kebab King, but we call it the Pet King because we think it's we're not sure of the provenance of all of the meat. We said, so what? Why the hell did you take us there? And he just went, it's where we go. <laughs> it, so, well, you're right. Winter Wonderland is. I I don't go to it, but I find people kind of go. It may once have been optional whether or not I went here every year. It no longer is optional like this. It's, I just go there. Yeah, no one wants to be the person to say, can we can we do something else this year? There is actually an alternative one in Victoria Park, which is really... Have you been to that one? I've not, uh, no. It's so half-hearted. 
it's like it's like we, we we go to that as well, and it's like you know they just come. You, you know, you get those stories in local newspapers this time of year about people who have gone taking their kids to see uh, to like some local uh, Christmas theme park thing, and they get there and like you know Santa's got a fag hanging out of his mouth. Um, and the reindeer are very clearly Alsatians with, like, <laughs> <laughs> with, with, with pretend antlers on. Um, and, like, all the presents are, like, you know, kinder eggs or something like that. It, you know, it's, it's, it's basically that in the East End. So, Merry Christmas. What do you, what do, you do for fun? <laughs> At Christmas? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think because I'm, I'm kind of... I still have to go home every Christmas... Because my mum's got kind of a three-line whip on her children being at home at Christmas. Um, so I mostly drink snowballs. Have you had a snowball? Is that the one with Advocar in it? It's Advocar and lemonade. I mean... It's, oh, it's so good. It's, I mean, it's vile, but it's brilliant. It doesn't, it doesn't sound good. I mean, Advocar is literally avocado-based, right? I mean... No, it's egg. Is it? Oh, I mean, yeah. okay, that's just... It's, like you, it's, it's not it's, like egg and lemonade is something I've ever had dreams about to be honest so I've never it's, been drinking a glass of lemonade and thought hmm need it's more kind egg. of like custard liqueur with lemonade in it okay custard liqueur I can get behind yeah and it's I mean they're delicious they are um you know an aberration but really really good so I drink those and then I do this thing where I'm the oldest of four and there's quite a big gap so I go from room to room trying to read a book and getting chased by my siblings who want to play and do nice things Maybe I ruin Christmas is what I'm... You do, you do sound like you need a visit from, <laughs> from some ghosts. Or goats. Or goat ghosts. Ghost goats. The ghosts of burnt goats past. Okay, that took a weird turn, but you have actually spoken to people about having a good time in cities. Not about, not about Christmas, though. But yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, this, this week we're going to talk to people about you know, ways of enjoying the city. I mean, how do you enjoy a city when there isn't a goat to burn? First up, we're going to talk park life. No, don't, don't do that. Just don't. So my name my is Peter Watts, I'm a, I'm a writer and journalist based in London. And you've been thinking a lot about uh, about parks recently. I it? have, yeah. I have been writing about parks and looking at parks, and, and essentially the, the, the question of park funding, um, because parks uh, throughout the UK are uh, facing a sort of funding crisis at the moment. Okay, first question, why do parks need funding? What's... Ah, well, parks need funding because uh, they, they need to be looked after, um, they need to be kept uh, tidy and clean. Their facilities need to be uh, painted and repaired and restored. And people discovered in the 1980s when uh, there was a similar parks funding crisis that um, if parks were not looked after, not kept, not looked after, then people didn't use them. If people didn't use them, they became used for other activities, uh, vandalism, uh, prostitution, drug use, crime in general. Um, and they become no-go areas and they become a liability uh, for the area in which they're based, rather than something that, uh, that that makes the place better. So it strikes me that parks are one of those things that everyone can see in the abstract that a city with parks in it is going to be nice than a city without parks. 
but it's quite difficult to translate that into a, a revenue stream. And we're sort of living in the age of austerity. So what, what, what can you do to kind of justify the spending on parks? Yeah, I mean, that is a real problem. I mean, the other problem is that parks aren't protected. I mean, a, a council doesn't have to spend anything on parks if it doesn't want to. And indeed, some councils actually want to reduce their spending on parks to zero. They want to make them completely self-financing. And there's a range of options for doing that. One of them is to use volunteers for a lot of uh, a lot of the sort of basic repair and, and work, which is which is interesting, but puts a lot of pressure on um, quite often the sort of uh, older gener- older members of the population. Um, and then you can use it for events, which again has drawbacks because you're 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 often channeling off a part of the park that other people can't use. It can create a lot of damage. Um, and what else can you do? You can you can put in more things like uh, you know uh, putting greens or tennis courts and raise revenue there. But you can also put in um, more commercial things like in, in Battersea Park they've got a go apes um, thing which is thirty odd quid a go which is tree climbing. Um, and that's thirty quid to climb a tree. Yeah, thirty quid to climb a tree. Uh, very popular. It's the only one in central London. Um, but, you know, that's an entirely privately run thing in a public park, which raises certain issues about what a park space should be for. But Battersea would say, well, Wandsworth would say, this helps us pay for our boating lake. The word, the word public and public park feels quite important here because so many of, of Britain's great parks did come out of that period of sort of Victorian philanthropy of like wanting to, to build spaces green spaces that sort of newly industrialised populations could could enjoy. It's the sort of lungs for the city thing, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of them were, were taken from stately homes as well that, that, that no longer could, um, no longer needed these um, these huge expanses of green and land around them. They gave them or sold them at a cheap rate to the local council to then turn them into parks. The idea being that this would keep the uh, the, the, the poor, the feckless poor, you know, out of uh, taverns and out of uh, gambling houses and out of out of brothels, and they'd go go off for a walk around the park and improve their lungs. <laughs> you know, that make them better workers. It would make them happier. There was also this idea that they would they would go off for a promenade in their Sunday best, and it would also stimulate the economy in times of uh, in times of a downturn because people would want to look nice in the park. But it feels like we've kind of lost that impulse towards providing public space for the sake of public good and now it does keep coming back to this question of, of revenue streams and spaces having to justify their existence in some Yeah, way. I think it's a difficult one with parks because people do recognise they are a public good they're good for public health, they're good for public mental health um, they, and they're good for house prices which everyone seems to be able to understand what what, what, what that means um, but there is also the problem of yeah, you know, a council is, can no longer just pay, you know, just pay as much as it wants for them so it's a conflict, but I do think that at heart of it, people do want parks to remain public spaces as much as possible. So, for instance, although there has been some selling off of, um, of parks um, by councils that need money, there hasn't been a huge amount of that. You know, they're still trying to protect them and, and they, gen- you know, they do understand what they do and what they give us. So if, if we're facing austerity budget, if you don't want to start selling tickets to climb a tree for 30 quid a go what what can you do like where else could you get money for these kind of things well uh the the national lottery a big lottery fund sort of um did a big uh research project into this uh last year it ran for about a year um their concern was they had actually paid for a lot of park improvements um from the 90s until into the 2000s and they were really concerned that that investment was going to be wasted now because 
uh, local councils could no longer afford the upkeep. So they started to investigate and run various projects. Um, A lot of it is simple fundraising, just trying to get people who go to the park to then just like donate some money. Um, They want to have a subscription scheme so that everyone in the area of a park will pay, say, £10 a year. I mean, a lot of it is just basic fundraising. Um, they also they tried this thing in, in Hoxton and Shoreditch and things where they built like a temporary office space for people to use um, and you know you would book it book the office space and hire it and use it for events um, this was like in squares so it was trying to use the city squares for something um, but that didn't really work because of vandalism so they, they sort of explored various schemes and, and the most successful have been kind of quite sort of mundane ones I'm afraid things like just sort of changing how much you mow the grass and changing the sort of plants that you put out so you don't have to have quite the same level of intense um, horticultural cultivation. So much of this stuff sounds like we're just trying very hard to reinvent the wheel of like wouldn't it be great if everyone just put a little bit of money into the pots and that all went to the public oh look you've just invented tax it just <laughs> seems like we it just seems like we bend over backwards to not say maybe we should pay some tax for this public goods yeah no exactly i mean and that's exactly what these subscriptions are that it's a very local tax um a, a, it's a voluntary tax i suppose just to make people feel a bit better about it but you know with the proviso that if you don't pay the voluntary tax and you might lose your park um, so yeah, completely, completely. But you know, for a council, they'll say, well, you know, we've got to spend money on this, that, and the other, and you know, we we're not getting as much money now. And councils are there's all these horrifying projections that in in like ten or twenty years' time, at current rates of growth, council budgets going to be going entirely towards social care. Yeah, exactly. And and there is something positive out of it you could take out of it, which is that parks uh, councils are having to think quite creatively because they want to keep parks. Um, therefore, they want to fund them. They're having to think of ways of keeping them alive without actually just simply, you know, just dipping into council revenues by actually raising money. So they're using the, I don't know, I think if you could see there's, there's a positive there. They want to keep them another. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I want to think of ways of, of, of making that happen. Okay, let's let's kind of finish by moving away from the boring fiscal debate. Just tell me what are your favourite parks. Give me a couple of examples. Yeah, well, my favourite park is my local park, which is uh, Brockwell Park in uh, Brixton, Hernhill. Um, and what I like about a park, a good park, I love Regent's Park as well because I used to live around. I think you know we have personal attachments to parks that we have lived near because they're the ones we spent most of our time. And what I love about somewhere like Brockwell Park is that a park really does sort of offer like cradle to grave facilities. You can go there as a child and play in a sandpit and then you can go as you get older you can play tennis or football with your friends you can climb trees you can you can go bmxing you can then you get older and you can sort of you know take your kids to do all that and then you get even older and you can go and sit in the walled garden and then you die and they put your name on a bench You can just, you know, use your legs. Don't give me that look. My name is Ed Jefferson. I uh, write about things that no one else is interested in writing about. And Nicolas Cage, mainly. You've not done Nicolas Cage for us. You did do the um, the Myers Briggs test for the different tube lines. Yes, yeah, that, that was taking all the, the tweets that London Underground makes as the different tube lines and running them through. Uh, an online an analysis tool of, uh, uh, to determine their Myers-Briggs personality types and it determined that the Waterloo and City line was the the weirdest, had the weirdest personality. Of all yeah, it's the freak line. Yeah, I can't remember, did it, I think it might have had the same personality as Miley Cyrus and I thought it was Gerbils Taylor Swift, or, or it was, some, it was yeah. something like, yeah. It was. Okay, so you and I have something in common, which is we both like taking long, aimless walks, just you know, miles and miles of like, you know, the more industrial, the better I find. I don't yeah. Really I think I'm sort of drawn like sort of magnetically or gravitationally. Like I, I kind of, well, I, the joke I always make is that kind of when I, what if I sort of walk at random within two to three hours, I will inevitably be in an industrial estate in the rain. Like it's some sort of kind of powerful force drags me to sort of the, the sort of human misery of a, like a closed industrial estate. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. And, so, and Sarah's always like, well, why don't we? Walk, why don't you walk somewhere nice so that I can come with you? You know, somewhere with like shops and cafes. It's like, well, where's the fun in that? That's you don't nice. want to. Also, then you have to stop at the shops or cafes, which yeah, I, I kind of I do like even when I'm walking past sort of theoretically interesting things. I'm never really that interested in like it's things that I might visit if I happen to be staying in the place, but. No, I need to walk. I need to do the miles. Okay, the obvious question here is, like, we we both do this slightly strange solitary thing, and I I do know other people who do it as well. The obvious question is, what the hell's wrong with us? Why do we do this? Why do you do it? There's an element of relaxation in terms of just sort of doing something quite... The the active thing you're doing is not that difficult or complicated. 
So there's sort of lots of then your brain can start sort of doing other things, and you can sort of kind of go to sort of strange abstract thought places. And I think there's an element of that of just kind of you kind of realizing at the end of the day you sort of figured some stuff out, even without really kind of even necessarily consciously thinking about stuff that hard. Mm. Then the other thing I find is that in London, in London, if, if I go for a long walk in London, there's this weird effect because I've lived here for the best part of 15 years now. There's this sort of weird time travel effect where you sort of sort of feel like you're crossing the, your own sort of time stream and you kind of like go, oh, I remember when my friend used to live in that flat or where that flat used to be if it's been demolished. And this weird kind of like you pass some like on the same walk might take in two really important events of your in your life but that were five years apart but are somehow now linked geographically because you walk between them. So it's this sort of, I think there's, there is sort of a weird, I mean, I don't think you know, I don't deliberately tend to set off unless I'm in really maudlin mood to kind of like visit the lowest points of my life the or anything. The crime, but I think yeah. oh, eventually you sort of do pile up enough associations with the city that you kind of, at any given point between A and B, you probably will run into some bit of your past, which is. See, with me, it started as a deliberate attempt to kind of tie the disparate elements of my life together. The first time I did a really long walk was an attempt to walk from where I was living in, in central London to uh, my mum's house, which is in Romford, which is about 14, 15 miles out of town. And the first time I didn't make it because, you know, frankly, I didn't make it because at the time I was in the middle of a master's degree. So I was still living like a student. So I thought, hey, I'll set off at like 2 p.m. in winter on this walk that's going to take me five or six hours. That can't possibly. And it got dark and I was halfway to sort of this. But yeah, eventually I did that walk properly and that was kind of the first time. So it was like a conscious attempt to sort of prove to myself that these two places were in the same city. It's interesting. I've heard, I mean, typically for obvious reasons, it's people who grew up not far from London or within London. Like I've heard a couple of people who, who sometimes people who don't particularly walk that much as far as I know have done that thing of like walking from like yeah their parents house to where they live now and it is like even like I grew up in Chester on the south coast which is probably a two or three day walk but it's definitely something that has this weird appeal even though like I have no idea whether it's a particularly nice or interesting walk or whether it's a 75 mile long chain of industrial estates but um (laughs) Like, I think there is this sort of weird appeal of, of kind of like, yeah, linking parts of your own history, like on foot, like that you're there's something about kind of like taking a train or a car journey just feels like you're cheating somehow. It's like, yeah. you kind of just, you've skipped through and you haven't kind of seen what it, what it actually feels like to move between these two places. So what's a long walk for you? Over 30 miles, I'd say is like Bloody hell. long. I'm actually, I think the longest I've ever done was like 20 one twenty-two. I walked, I got the train to Watford and walked back from there, which took me like basically a whole day last December. So like, yeah. I'm kind of in awe of doing thirty. How do you like? How do you like? How I do mean, you even get through that many miles in one day? I mean, usually the last five tend to be slower and involve more pubs, um, <laughs> which which um, has I don't know whether it has some sort of like a uh, anaesthetic effect on weary feet. But I think if you just, I think part of it's just built, like, like anything, you just build up tolerance to it. It was really kind of like the sensation of having to spend a whole day kind of like walking, like it's kind of just stopping kind of like three in the afternoon. If you've set off early, it just doesn't feel kind of like you, you just feel like you can't do anything else your day because you're knackered anyway. So yeah. 
So, okay, I've got a problem with the long, long walks in that I kind of like to start from my house. Yes. Um, just because I don't like wasting time on trains or something. But the problem is I've kind of walked in every direction from my house and it takes me probably about 90 minutes to get anywhere that's remotely new or interesting to me. And it's, I'm finding it increasingly difficult to, to find somewhere to go. Cause I, I like to walk with a, a purpose. I find like I can't just be like, right, I'm going to, I'm going to wander because then it's really difficult to kind of keep the stamina up when you start getting tired. Yeah. I've got to feel like I am going somewhere, even though it's a completely made up concept of a journey in my head. I have to have some goal in mind to kind of keep me motivated by, you know, hour three or something. So where, where where should I be walking? Where's good? Well, I mean, the, I think one the obvious way to get around that is to if you like to go somewhere outside London, you've booked everything, right? Because then you know you've got to get to Hotel X, but like by check-in time, and then the next day you've got to get to Station Y, even if there's no particular reason to kind of be at either of those places. You then kind of you put yourself in a position where it would be at least fairly expensive to suddenly abandon the endeavour. Um, I mean, I'm getting... I've sort of been spending a bit of time kind of walking bits of the south coast just because it's um, quite easily reachable from London. But also, in partly, because I've been thinking about this, like, one day, and this is sort of quite a big gift because of the amount of time and money involved, um, I'd quite like to walk around the entire coast of the, of the British Isles, um, which will be easier soon because the uh, the English Coastal Trail, I believe, is going to be fully open by 2020, and there'll be f- like the there'll be a coastal path around the entirety of England, which will be signed and sort of properly funded. I mean, there are, there are, there's you t- well, I found this website of a guy who's been doing it since about 1999 in bits. You think, well, that's fine, but it would be quite nice to somehow have the, the wherewithal to take nine months off and just do it nonstop. Is that how long it takes? Something like out? that. Like I think it dep- It does depend on because you basically have to set up rules about like what you do when you go like at rivers like do you so like do you walk when you get to like the Thames estuary do you have to walk all the way to the source of the Thames and back again or do you like what point you pick like what when when's acceptable to get a ferry and I think basically people like set up their own rules and mm. kind of try and stick to them and there's, but there's I'm trying to think that the, to do it on foot without using any mode of transport you'd have to come all the way up to like Woolwich wouldn't you that's just like only like eight miles from central London or something oh uh, is there you not there's the there Ferry at like Gravesend or somewhere. Yeah, but that's cheating. Yeah, I can't. I think like, you have, Willis, yeah. there's a foot tunnel, so yeah, you're still yeah. you're still doing it. Whereas the ferry, you kind of. I mean, you might. Well, I think there drive. are places where you'd have to you have to take a ferry or take like a very long detour. Some old guy's done it like seven or eight times, and kind of people are, are like slightly dispute whether they believe all, all the stories that he's told. But there's there's it's a very select club of strange people. Have you got like a favourite walk in London? So there's a walking ring one called the Capital Ring, Love the Capital um, ring. which goes around sort of Zone Three, Four-ish, um, and the idea is that it forms a ring around the capital, as the name suggests, um, and you can, you can indeed walk all, all the way because it goes over a, a bridge in Richmond at the other side. It goes through the aforementioned Woolwich foot tunnel, but the it, there's a section from uh, uh, Wimbledon. Park that that goes across Wimbledon Common and then through Richmond Park. That's just really nice, especially sort of like in the evening if you like. 
going through Richmond Park as a sunset, it's like a like it really doesn't feel like you're in London. But then you sort of either side of it, you very much definitely are. But <laughs> so it's quite good. I redid the Capital Ring a couple of months ago. Second time I've done it. Um, firstly, like I made the mistake of like. I kept doing evenings after work and I'd always sort of think I could do more than I could. So I, I got to the gates of Richmond Park and it's like, oh, it's going to close in 20 minutes, which is actually better than, like, I've been trying to work out, will I be in the middle of Wimbledon Common when it gets dark and will I therefore die? Um, so actually not even starting that section that night yeah. was probably more sensible. But the other thing that really straight stays me about it is like, because it's, it's mostly green sections. They kind of tie together a load of green sections wherever they can. And there's so many bits when you're on high ground and you look around and like, you kind of can't see London. It's just, if you're on high ground, the, the highest things you tend to be able to see are like tower blocks and trees. So the number of places where you just look around and you're like, it doesn't look like there's a city there. It looks like there's a bunch of trees with the occasional building poking out. That she did in one day, the entire southern section basically as a sort of to see if I could, because it's about 36 miles or something. Walk through all these green spaces that have been connect that were connected as part of this route 10, 15 years ago, maybe? I can't remember exact. And it's sort of interesting they represent, they do sort of represent kind of the disparate history of green spaces in London. For City Metric, I wrote about um, Wandsworth Common and its weird history of electing fake mayors to stop uh, the Earl Spencer from selling off bits of the land. Um, and it's sort of some of the green, some of, so there are lots of examples of kind of bits of green space where they're preserved because people needed to use them to graze cattle and kind of protest it when their owners wanted to uh, sell them off. Um, but there are other examples where it's almost the opposite, where it was the, the grounds of the manor house and were, were there precisely so that the rich owner could see something nice outside his house. <laughs> and then there are bits that are, Kind of were originally industrial because you've bits that goes along goes along go along canals or uh, there's a section that follows the new river which is built to bring drinking water in and it's sort of all these kind of things that exist once existed for very different reasons have been combined into this kind of like there's next railway space. line as well isn't there the yeah Lights yeah that's um Finsbury Park up to Highgate yeah that's where it runs right by my house it's uh it's I mean it's also interesting to think like when you think that a lot of this stuff wasn't like it is relatively um, new. It's only been relatively recently open as a kind of like public space. Like that railway line was been in the eighties, I think it was because it had been dormant since the thirties. Yeah, because it was originally an overground line, and they took up the the tracks, and yeah. they were going to turn it into part of the tube network. But then Hitler happened, yeah, and and they just never got around to it. So it's just sat there. Yeah, and, and the, I get like the the new river which runs up through the Lee Valley, um, and it's still I think part of the London's uh, water supply. But even that is only it was only a relatively recent phenomenon that you've been able to kind of walk the length of it. And so reading the history of the Capital Ring actually is quite interesting about how it was put together. Um, there's a, was a lot of thinking about how sections should be useful, so they might be kind of like kind of walks that people would do as part of a commute and there's some of it like for the sort of different reasons for that like partly that was like well okay if we want to make this sort of uh, a, a place that people want to come to we don't want it to be some desolate area where only people who are going to do this capital ring thing are going to because it'll be might be a bit intimidating and frightening so to come we actually 
make this useful at, like for people who are on a walk somewhere for a reason as opposed to uh, lunatics like us who just want to walk around the capital ring because it's there like twice I've done that twice yeah, I've, in the same direction both times but yeah I don't like the idea of doing it the wrong way around it's, which way around you go uh, in num- the numbered order from Woolwich to uh, you're wrong to you're doing it wrong that's the, it's the official order as it says I know here. but I don't I don't play by the rules but you don't want to be walking away from the river at Richmond Park because you end up in a really rubbish bit of Wimbledon I know I've done it twice <laughs> this is a Brooklyn bound A express train the next stop is Dykeman Street this is a 125th street bound A express train the next stop is 59th Street, Columbus Circle. Okay, so we have talked about Christmas being miserable and talked about fun. That's not Christmassy. Is there any way we can talk about Christmas fun? We could just put the Muppets Christmas Carol on. I feel like putting the whole of the Muppets Christmas Carol inside a podcast might be some kind of copyright violation. Also, it'd be quite a big file to download, so... How about, John, we just talk to the people of Twitter who we we asked a question? We could do that part, yeah, okay. So, this week, in keeping with our theme, we asked people uh, their favourite Christmas traditions and which city they would like to spend Christmas in. A lot of these were either oddly miserable or very general along the lines of I drink, get home late and wrap presents while drunk which you can do in any city or indeed outside of cities. You don't even need Christmas to be honest. I mean, if you just wanted to come home pissed and wrap presents, that is a thing you could do. I mean, you could ruin a partner's birthday that way. could ruin an anniversary. Yeah. I mean, Christening. There's, there's so many things you could ruin. <laughs> Ollie Lee, who's in Norwich, writes in with both a nice thing and the thing that's about Christmas. So well done, Ollie. He tells us that Norwich's tunnel of light is proving popular. It's the first year, so it's not a tradition, but it does look beautiful. Yeah, it's a very pretty picture. We'll stick that. We'll stick that in the show notes. I like this one from Jim Waterson at BuzzFeed because we always used to go for a walk along the railway tracks on Boxing Day, and there's, there's no trains. Hang on, that's that's illegal, right? That's Jim Waterson at BuzzFeed. If you're listening from the constabulary, yeah, he's very easy to find. He's the guy who likes the trains. Talk, talking of things that are illegal. <laughs> Yes, somebody who will not be named writes in and says, Every Christmas, me and old school friends pub crawl in Pompeii. Someone says, It's a white Christmas, let it snow, and go to the toilet with key. Another <laughs> thing is, like, how do you celebrate Christmas? Well, I take some drugs. Louise O'Connor from Dublin says, The Wren in Dingle and Dublin, a bunch of old lads cover themselves in straw and sing songs for money. Have I ever told you about the time I was in Cornwall a few days before Christmas? and went into the pub The Famous Barrel in Penryn, old fishing harbour village, and found it full of mummers who had been mumming. Explain for the listeners rather than for me, because I obviously know what a mummer is, but for the benefit of the listeners, explain what a mummer is. They're kind of travelling bardic people who put on skits. I was afraid you were going to say that. The idea is they travel around and they, they act out scenes and do dances, and it's kind of a very old English, slightly pagan, creepy thing. Yeah. Um, and I went into this pub in Cornwall and there were just loads of huge Geordies in face paint. Um, and they stayed until like 2am playing music. It was quite nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm from Essex. We don't really have mumming in Essex. Mm, no, you don't have mumming in Essex. No. You have Winter Wonderland and doing drugs in the toilet. Yeah. We, um, our colleague Anna said she really likes it when tube staff give out chocolates and mince pies. Is that, I've never seen that. I think may, may, maybe people are just like going around handing Anna sweets. 
that. Yeah, you have to. Anna is like a really nice looking, good person. <laughs> if you run into her, do you give her chocolates and mince pies? Although, actually, a Christmas tradition I really like around here is the, uh, the Christmas sandwich roundup in which we shamelessly encourage various purveyors of, of bread products to send us free sandwiches so we can review them. Coming up soon from our colleague Anoush, the Christmas Sandwich Roundup 2016. Marxist loser, whose username is followed by three despairing faces, said, <laughs> I don't know if this counts, but when I'm in Rio, I like to check the huge ugly Christmas tree they have by the lagoon. I've never seen that, but I'm going to go Google it straight after this. OK, I have an issue with Christmas in the southern hemisphere because it just seems off to me like but also all the imagery is off so we had a piece a couple of years ago um about christmas in buenos aires by by a a writer called drew reed and it was basically about their local equivalent of winter wonderland and it had all the same sort of christmas imagery it's all like you know the fir trees with fake snow on but it's 30 degree heat because it's the (laughs) middle of summer so like even though christmas is happens in summer down there the imagery still pretends it's winter, and that's weird. No, I heard about this because my flatmate, or my, my ex-flatmate, before I foolishly fell in love and left my lovely flat in East London, said, that it said the same thing, said that they spray fake snow on their windows. She, she lived in a beach house in Australia. But I kind of like that because I feel it can be inspirational to us as we, and going back to last week's theme, deal with the new world in which the Arctic has melted. Happy Christmas, everyone. You've been listening to Skylines, the City Metric podcast. It was presented by me, John Allage, and by Stephanie Boland, and was produced by Royfield Brown. You can contact all three of us on Twitter, and there's a very good chance we'll reply. All music in the show is produced by Noah Tilson Brown. You can find Skylines every two weeks on Acast or on iTunes. In the meantime, check out our website, citymetric.com, where we post new stories every weekday. And, you know, since you're still here, why not leave us a nice review on iTunes? Go on, I'll be your friend. Thanks for listening. On a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five day returns. Mid-station, Changi Airport.